So one can argue that online marketplaces are one of the toughest products to work on. You know, you have the traditional chicken and egg problem and balancing buyers and sellers is always a challenge. Now, in this episode, my guest, Mayank Yadav, we will tackle how to get traction, reach product market fit, and create a growth playbook for your marketplace product. Now, Mayank is a product lead at Facebook Marketplace, leading new verticals for homes and cars globally. He has previously uh, worked as a product manager with eBay, Uber, and Handy, which is now Home Advisor. So get ready, guys, for a really cool chat with Mayan Kadav on all about online marketplaces. Hey, I'm your host, Cyrus Shirazian, and welcome to PM Hub Podcast a show dedicated to bringing you fresh and unique insights from product leaders and tech entrepreneurs. All right, Mayank, welcome to PM Hub. Thanks, Cyrus. Great, great to have you tonight. And uh, I guess I'm really excited to talk with you about marketplaces, but I was also curious to know like, how, how was your journey to product, man? Yeah, absolutely. Love to talk about that. Yeah, uh, it's been about eight years since I have been uh, working building products. Uh, the journey started back in New York right after my master's. Uh, got my first internship in ad tech. Uh, wasn't very consumer focused, but it taught me that building products is exciting. And from then, I was deci- I decided that I ha- I'll be working as a PM uh, for the next at least 10 years, and we'll see what happens after that. Anyway, so my first break was with eBay as a full-time job, and there, um, that's where I first got the exposure to what a marketplace is. And my job was there to really scale there. Uh, fraud, fraud prevention products in the UK and Germany. So international expansion for their product that was already in the US um, to make a safe marketplace for buyers and sellers. So amazing experience, learned a lot, traveled, uh, so learned a lot there as well uh, in understanding cultural nuances. And, and right after that, I moved to Uber, uh, very early stage at that time. I think uh, I was the fifth or sixth product manager at Uber. And Uber really taught me uh, how to build a global product to start in, from the very beginning, from scratch, and scale it at a speed which is unheard of. Uh, so I learned that hyper-scaling mode, uh, worked, worked, working with Uber teams there. And uh, after that, moved back to New York uh, to get married to my girlfriend then, my wife, and join another marketplace, uh, which was primarily focused on online home services called Handy, now acquired by Home Advisor. So there it was, uh, I would say, they had found product market fit in certain fashion and, uh, you know, getting cleaners to your, uh, to your home. And we were figuring out what else can we do and how can we scale existing business into different markets. So I learned a lot there as well in terms of strategies, in terms of uh, coming up with buyer strategy or seller strategy or marketplace efficiency. The foundational marketplace learning really happened at handy for me and amazing people, amazing founders, loved every bit of it. Um, and then the question was, what's next? Uh, three marketplaces, eBay, Uber, Handy. And um, as a product manager, I was questioning, like, where can I get the next learning? And, uh, and what really uh, pulled me to the Bay Area after that was, it was the ecosystem where I wanted to learn from people around me. And uh, Bay Area was a great place to, to come back to. And uh, that's when I got an offer from Facebook to join their um, messenger team, which then I moved to Marketplace at a very uh, early stage. And I was given the charge to lead their home rentals, long-term rentals, verticals, 
to expand in the U.S. and come up with a global strategy and take them global. And fast forward now, uh, use all those learnings from Uber, I mean, eBay, Uber, Handy, and obviously the early days of Facebook Marketplace. And then uh, I've been working on both two verticals now. One is for homes, the other is for cars. Uh, that's me. So it's been a marketplace journey uh, in and out uh, in the U.S., uh, different parts of the world. And it's taught me a bit or so about how to build and scale marketplaces globally. Yeah, man, I guess if there's... Uh... You're probably one of the very few people who actually can who knows the best. You you work at one of the some of the top that uh, kind of tech companies and marketplaces out there. So I'm really excited to chat with you about this this topic. So let's dive right in. So how how do you let's take it from the top? Like how do you define a marketplace and you know what are different types of them out there? <laughs> it's a great question. I think. Uh... There are so many of them, but let's talk about the foundation of marketplace. So what, are the, what were the traditional marketplaces? And then we talk about online marketplaces quickly to, to connect the dots there. Um, so when you think of marketplace, if you ask my dad, like 10 years ago before he was ordering stuff online, he would say, well, I go to a brick and mortar store uh, across the street or to a mall to buy stuff. Well, that's a marketplace. You go to a place. Uh, there are stores around you, physical stores. There's a shopkeeper who's a seller. You are the buyer. You get it. You look at the product. You buy something. That's a marketplace, traditional marketplace, right? Now, I'm sure you all know about that. There's another one that is traditional, which is the newspaper, the classic newspaper. Uh, if you, I don't know how many people know about this, but if you open the real news, physical newspaper, which was very common five years ago, uh, there was a section called the classified section. If you open that, what you would see is the different ads for uh, homes, cars, jobs, uh, for sale items. That's also a marketplace. You are the consumer slash buyer, and the, uh, the person who is actually listing those listings or ads are the sellers, and the classified uh, newspaper is a platform. So fast forward now. What has happened is uh, the technology world, the technology people who use technology to solve problems, they looked at these marketplaces, both think of both brick and mortar marketplaces and also the classified section you saw in your newspaper. And the question was, there are a lot of inefficiencies in these marketplaces. You, If you are a brick and mortar store, you cannot sell beyond that street. You have to be on that street. You can only have certain number of items in that section of your store and sell to very few people. So there are a lot of inefficiencies, and the goal was to remove these inefficiencies using technology. That's exactly what the first wave of marketplaces did. They pulled all the inefficiencies out of the traditional brick-and-mortar storefront, and they created what is eBay today, what is Amazon today, what is Mercado Libre in Mexico, or Flipkart in India. Um, so that's a marketplace. You Take, that's an online marketplace now. And now when you say marketplace, you only talk about those marketplaces. That was wave one. Then came wave two. That's, that was the uh, online marketplace uh, conversion of the classified section of the newspaper. If you go and look at Craigslist, it's basically exactly the classified section, but in online format. Uh, that was the second wave where you know e-commerce e went beyond just buying and selling products and went into services. That's the second wave. And right after that, people started to go deeper in building even better experiences uh, to solve for 
inefficiencies in the Craigslist model, which was lack of trust, which was lack of um, user experience that was deep uh, for the use case. For instance, if you look at Zillow, Zillow is for real estate. You buy and sell homes or rent out homes for Zillow. Well, you can do the same thing with Craigslist or with the newspaper, but Zillow does it much better. Same with Airbnb. They just completely change the landscape of how do you share your home and, uh, and, and get people to stay there. Uh, open Door is doing the same thing. DoorDash, same thing. Uh, you have uh, Lyft and Uber doing it for cars or limo services. That, that became uh, Uber, and then now obviously it's much bigger than that. So I think that's the genesis of a market of, the, of today's marketplace, which is starting with the brick and mortar and the classified section of the newspaper, the highly sophisticated and an, and an awesome experience to a, while sitting on your couch to book a car, to buy a home to buy a product, uh, and which is powered by technology uh, underneath that. That's the journey, I would say, short of a marketplace from where it was and where it is today. This is really, really fascinating, Fan. Thanks for breaking up into the, the different sections, as you mentioned. Now, now, moving on to the strategy, I'm curious like to know, uh, Mike, from your perspective, what is your overall strategy for building a marketplace? Yeah. Cool. So if you look at the high-level strategy of building a marketplace, it always starts with a problem. Uh, if you look at Uber, it started with a problem. Well, it's hard to get a car. Wouldn't it be cool if I press the button and the car shows up? You know, same goes with uh, Amazon. Books were the first thing they thought was a problem, and let's go chase it and, and make it easier for people to buy books. Airbnb is a classic example of a problem-driven uh, product, which started with, well, we are in a conference, and uh, it's hard to find a hotel to stay there. How can we uh, stay in somebody's couch? And that that one idea became uh, such a big company today and it's such a big product today. So I think the first step is identifying the problem which you want to solve and, and go solve it. Do whatever it takes to solve that problem. So I would say that's for a startup. Like, that's how you think about it. Of course, we'll talk about strategies, how to go beyond that. But the first step for any founder, if you ask them, was never about TAM, the total addressable market or the market size. It's all about let's go solve the problem. That's number one. That's for a startup, a small company, which is just beginning. Now, it is different for someone who is a, which is a large company and wants to create a marketplace. Let's say if you're Google, if you're an Amazon, you're building a new vertical, a new section in your existing marketplace or an existing business that will become a marketplace. So if you have a health tech company or a health providing company, you want to go into marketplace. It's a different situation. You don't start with the problem. You rather look at what's going on in your market, in your platform today. Uh, for instance, if you are um, Amazon and if you want to start a new marketplace for buying and selling cars, uh, you do look at what's happening in the market today, how big the market is uh, outside uh, you know, their platform, and then figure out where is the niche they can start with uh, in terms of the problem identification, what's the biggest problem they see, and then they go solve the problem and see if it works and then scale beyond that. So I think at a high level, the approach would be different for a small startup when they're starting the company, which is a large company, but definitely the goal would be identify the problem first and then go build for it. And then, of course, we'll talk about the strategy as we move forward. I see. No, I really like the way you're approaching it from a very high level and then thinking about it strategically. Now, if you were to kind of break down this journey 
uh, of, of strategizing your approach? How would you go about it? Absolutely. So the journey, like based on what I've seen so far with marketplaces globally, and also the ones I've worked with, uh, uh, a three-step process works quite well if you're looking at the strategy. Uh, the classic first problem is liquidity or getting enough buyers and getting enough sellers to your platform. Now, why is that important? Now, when I say enough, what it means is you are trying to figure out the idea that you have in mind to solve the problem that you've identified, does it really work? Now, you can't solve that for one, only one or two or 10 people. You have to solve for a critical mass. And when that works, you say, yes, I have a product market fit, let's scale. So step one is to focus on building liquidity, that is some sort of, uh, some level of demand and supply. I call it getting traction or building traction. So for example, uh, when we were launching, uh, let's say home rentals, long-term rentals in a country like the US, uh, we will figure out, okay, how many homes should be done on our platform? How many buyers should come to our platform every month so that we can then figure out, do we have the right level of product market fit with our buyers and sellers? Because you just, as I said, you can't focus on 10 people only and say it's working. So defining that, level for yourself to create liquidity will be a step one for me. And uh, and same is true for every marketplace you've seen. Like I'm sure it's true for Airbnb. You just cannot have five homes. You, you need more. Same is true for Uber um, and so on and so forth. Uh, second is very logical next step. Okay, you have enough buyers. You have enough sellers. Uh, well, is it working? Are we providing the value we think we would provide? Uh, both from buyer's and seller's perspective. Let's take an example of home services, for instance. Uh, you have home cleaners, you have providers, let's call them pros or providers or helpers or uh, task rabbits or taskers. Uh, they are coming to your platform and you have enough of them because you have moved from step one to step two. Uh, are they finding the value that you have thought you would provide them? You don't know the answer. So the question is defining what those values are first and then obviously going deeper into it. And we'll talk more again as we go deeper into these uh, conversations about how to redefine the value for these guys. So again, focus on product market fit is step two uh, by defining specific buyer and seller value. Step three is, well, you found product market fit. Amazing, that's the, that's the golden moment and it's time to grow. That's when you start growing. But it's a beginning of your growth journey. So the goal here is not to say that I will grow 10,000 next to show that I'm killing it. The goal would rather be, let's build the growth playbook and grow. So let me tell you what, what I mean by that. Now, if you're Uber, uh, let's take a for example. Let's say you are a marketplace for selling surgical equipment. I'm taking a very niche uh, in a country. Now you can grow by selling 10,000 equipments in one market, in one city. You can grow by selling 10,000 equipment in the entire country. Now, if you sell 10,000 equipment in the entire country, it's a local business because you sell it to clinics, it's it's not really a playbook because you have sold one in each city to get to, or, or 100 in each city to get to 10,000. You don't know how to win a market. You don't know how to go deep into cities. So you don't have a playbook to grow. So the, the point here is, Playbook creation, a growth playbook creation is step three. Once you have that, once you know what are the strategies to grow in a market, you will nail it. Then you can start expanding new markets or new verticals. For instance, Uber nailed 
San Francisco, they knew how to grow San Francisco. Then they went to New York, then they went to Paris or whatever the number three city was. Once the playbook was developed, it was easy to scale, you know? And of course the playbook will change as you move forward, but the goal is to create playbook and then, you know, replicate that everywhere. So those are a three-step process. So the, like step one is getting traction slash create liquidity to a level where you can test for product market fit. Step two is logically focusing on product market fit to test for uh, do we have, are we creating buyer and seller value? And third one is, yeah, growth by creating a, grow, a growth playbook first and then just amplify that. I love that. I mean, it's just super clear the way you put it and uh, kind of like I love how you started off. Yeah, for example, the step one, two and three, like you meant, like how you mentioned it. So let's take a deep dive into each of these. Step one, you mentioned on, you know, getting traction on creating liquidity. Like how do you go about it and how is it differ depending on the size of your setup, either like your startup versus enterprise? Oh, absolutely. So getting traction, which means getting enough number of buyers and sellers to your platform. Uh, now, the classic question is the chicken egg. What comes first, sellers or buyers? Buyers or sellers? And the clear answer is, uh, it's your call, but I would say go with sellers. When you, uh, with the analogy of brick and mortar stores, when you set up a store, you first set up a store and get your products, then you go chase the buyers rather than having the buyers come to you, then figuring out your seller, your product strategy. So anyway, the point here is uh, step one is to get sellers and then uh, think about the buyers. Now, it's different for a startup versus a large company. And let's talk about startup first. For startup, definitely you have to figure out a way to get your inventory slash your products into your marketplace. Now, it's very, very hard to get that. That's where there's a barrier to entry. Like if you, are, if you want to create a new product today uh, in uh, home sharing space, so basically I'm saying go compete with Airbnb because you can do it better. The biggest question is not can you provide a better user experience. The biggest question is can you get those homes to your platform? Can you get enough homes to your platform because the primary reason why a user comes to a marketplace, the first reason is they are, there is the inventory they're looking for. Same goes with Uber, Amazon. Uh, if you open the Uber app, if there's not, not enough cars, doesn't matter what experience you provide. So how do you get those sellers? Well, it's hard. Um, so the way to attack that is uh, pick a niche. So let's say you're starting a home delivery service. Uh, the marketplace, right? You have three sort of marketplace. You have uh, merchants, you have uh, delivery man, and then you have the buyers. So I would say start with one building, one apartment, one complex, and and that's your demand side. And focus on five products and do it right. Provide the best price and best service for let's say dairy products, and only in that apartment. So what that's giving you is an opportunity to really show that your product can work for a certain segment of the user for a certain type of product. When that happens, you have now a playbook to really uh, scale from not just that daily product, but it can go to any other product. And not from one of the apartment building, but you can go to multiple of them. So not for, let's say it's a long, large building with 20 or 100 uh, units, you can now go from one building to, you know, five building and 10 building and so on and so forth. And that's, that's your 
power. That's your base that you've created that nobody can steal from you. So I would say creating the niche for yourself, wherever it is, start there and go deeper. And I think that's the same advice I give to many startups globally. So that's for a startup. Pick a niche, go deep, and, and then start expanding. It's up to you. So question, question yeah, right there, ahead. Mike. Yeah, so question right there. So in the apartment example, I really like it, how you put it, but let's say once you found a niche of, let's say, let's say for example, a specific product for a department building, mm -hmm. would you say the next step is to uh, start to kind of like find more products for the same apartment first or start to kind of like have the yeah. same product but the different apartments first? Yeah, that's a great question, and that's exactly why building a startup is fun. Well, you don't know all the answers sitting right here right now, and when you start, you'll never know the answer. I could say right now, well, next step should be to get more apartments because the dating works, so now add more uh, apartments to scale the exact same thing that you already have. The other answer could also be, well, we have learned that they love our service, but they want more products, and the next thing they're looking for uh, is groceries, I mean, beyond dairy, they want, um, you know, uh, let's say produce or some other stuff. So I think you can anchor the next decision based on what you have learned. Uh, and the goal here is keep learning and then expanding versus come up with a strategy now and then you don't change it. Got it. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Thank you. Cool. I know that's not the answer looking for. You're looking for a recipe, but there's none. <laughs> you basically learn and then scale, right? That's what makes it cool. Uh, yeah. I'll give an example from Uber, actually. You could just say Uber was a limo, uh, was first doing only private cars, limos, right? You press a button, a car shows up. Now, you can argue they could do the exact same thing globally, but no, they realized that uh, the demand is more and the limo companies or limo cars they're there, but they need even more cars. And they said, you know what? Let's start a new vertical, which is UberX. That scaled, but they did that plus expansion. So I think as you learn, new things uh, uh, unfold, and it's game theory. You keep changing as the variables change in front of you. Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. Cool. So in terms of attraction, let's say awesome. enterprise, like how how do you go about that? So for enterprise, for large companies, what happens to them? See, they have a different challenge. They have a challenge that, oh, we have a large user base already, uh, whether supply or demand, you'll have one or the other. The reason they get into it could be for multiple reasons. Let me start there first. One, uh, I don't do marketplace, but I want to get into a marketplace business. Okay, then that's a different strategy. I already have a user base. I think I can build a marketplace for them, whether the user is supplier, or, you know, as a seller or a buyer. So you can look at it from both perspectives. Uh, in, in both answers, I think the only difference I would say here is you still have to find the problem. You still have to find your sellers and buyers. You still have to create liquidity for them. The only difference would be instead of going into a very, very, very small niche like the way we did for the startup, I would rather start with uh, the, in the platform itself and see who are the users in our platform that we know are already showing traction in terms of the use case. So for instance, if you are Amazon web service, no, that's a bad example. Let's say you're selling books today on Amazon, in early days, uh, you already have people of certain age group buying books. What are the next thing they would look for or what would resonate with them to buy online? Would it be toys? Would it be uh, you know, uh, for electronic items? And I think my point here is you define your next opportunity based on the user group that you already have on your platform. 
so you can cross-sell them and quickly test your product and scale it versus starting from zero in the example of the building and then going deeper. Does it make sense? Sorry? 100%. Yes, 100%. does cool. make sense. Awesome. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, and it's and it's and you know what, like what you're saying is like you know what, leverage what you have currently and find other use cases from their that 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 kind of demographics that you're selling stuff to th throughout their journeys. Exactly, and just one more thing that that goes across these two is the concept of seeding supply, which means or seeding users. So, at any given moment, if you ask me, what should we focus on? I would say the focus should be on one and not the other. So somehow try to figure out how to balance one part versus focusing on the other. For instance, if you're Uber, I'll give you an example, which I read uh, I think online. Uh, you look at a lot of, when they launch a new market, it's true for any, by the way, any uh, marketplace. You launch a new marketplace in a new city, there are incentives for suppliers or the supply side that, hey, uh, you don't have to drive. For instance, I'll take a radical example. Uh, this may not be the exact number, but it's will come up with some examples here. Uh, if you're launching Uber, uh, a ride-sharing company or a uh, product in, let's say, uh, New Delhi, you cannot focus on demand and supply at the same time because nobody knows you. At, at, at there, and it's very hard to focus on both. So what you do is you say, listen, drivers, uh, I'll pay you for the entire day for 10 hours, no matter what. Just keep the phone turned on, which, which means you're active. So now what you've done is you have seeded the marketplace with the supply. So supply is always active. It's ready. Make sense? Mm -hmm. And then you say internal team of your ride-sharing company, whatever the company is, uh, go bring in more users. Because you're not a, you know, now you don't have to focus on both, you can actually get more demand. And as the marketplace stabilizes, you remove the incentives to stabilize the marketplace, and then it becomes a healthy marketplace that works by itself. So that's the concept of seeding marketplaces is generally used for the get traction phase for both large companies and, and small companies. Like what you hear so far, make sure to never miss an episode by clicking on the subscribe button now. This podcast has been made possible by listeners like yourself, and I'm thankful for your support. Now let's head back to the show. Mm. Yeah, it's so interesting, uh, kind of like these, these kind of like interesting tactics as you go about it. And no, that's cool. Thanks for sharing that. So on the step oh, two, okay. you mentioned uh, product market fit. Now you mentioned that the goal yeah. is to basically that you're actually delivering some value to to mm -hmm. your buyers and sellers. But but how do you actually do that? Absolutely. So now, so step one was get enough buyers and enough sellers. Awesome. You have them. What's next? Yeah, you have to find, is it working? Is, is do we have product market fit? But what is product market fit? How do you get there? If you go to Google right now, they'll give you 10,000 ideas of how to get to product market fit, and they'll just use one number, maybe retention, as a way to look at PMF. But I think that's not completely true. Uh, so the way to look at this is you have two sites, for instance, in the case of classic marketplaces. Uh, let's take a different market this time. Uh, let's say Zillow. You have agents and you have home buyers. Uh, in this case, when you just launch in a city, are you providing enough value to the agents so they can spend more money on Zillow and uh, and for buyers so they come back again and again? So you define what value means for them first of all in in the in a qualitative format. So that's number one. 
define what value means for both sides or three sides or three sides of marketplace in a qualitative term, qualitative terms. Second is figure out a way to quantify that. So for instance, um, if you're buying a home, uh, how do you ensure that Zillow is providing value to you as a user? And it's a hard question. I mean, well, if you buy a home, that it means it provides value. But, well, buying a home is a long process, so you can't wait for six months to decide is it providing your value. So how do you figure that out? I think that's where you really go deep into understanding your user segment and their journey, and then use that to figure out what their definition of value is. So for, let's say, the user segment you're focusing on for Zillow is, um, People uh, who are actively looking for a home. So there are two kinds of people, that, uh, three kinds of people. One, people who just browse homes. They do not, they won't buy, but they just enjoy browsing. They'll buy maybe in the next couple of years. Then there are people who are looking for a home. They're passive buyers, but they'll buy in, let's say, in one year time. Uh, and the third one are active users. They will buy home. They're looking for a home. They'll buy in the next two months. They're the active buyers. You have to define which user segment you'll first focus on. And if you say, I'll focus on uh, the active buyers, which means they'll come back in uh, almost every week so that they buy a home in two months, then that's your definition of value. Are you, in, are you a part of the journey when they're finding a home? And did you actually end, end up helping them buy a home? And if the answer is yes, figure out what is the quantification of that in terms of a metric. It could be a weekly retention. It could be weekly number of connections or number of homes they've contacted, number of homes they have seen, and that becomes your, your golden metric. And then you focus on figuring out how, how big the cohort is and go deeper to find uh, what percentage of cohort should be at that metric so that you say we have part of market fit. So once you have that, you're solid. Same goes for uh, on the agent side or supply side. You just understand the journey, understand, quantify the journey in terms of number, and then figure out if it makes sense for you. So again, I will not give you a recipe, but that's the format we could use, or framework we could use for any marketplace, for any user segment to define product market fit. The only tip here would be sometimes it's just one number. Well, number of transactions. So for instance, if you look at Amazon, they will look at number of transactions the user is making, and that defines value. Absolutely. Number of transactions per week, maybe per month, whatever that is, or GMV value, which is gross market value. value. Uh, for a classified business like uh, Zillow or for a jobs business, when the transaction does not happen, it's a long sort of curve, you might want to split your definition of value into buyer value and seller value, and you may have separate metrics for them early metric versus the transaction because the transaction is too far from when you're measuring it. And you can't wait three months to say, yes, it's working or not versus figuring out right now. Yeah, there's a really, really good, the way you broke it down into segments makes make actually perfect sense. Uh, now, I'm, I'm actually going to throw this question and I'm, I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Like, is there a magic number uh, where you would say, hey, you know what, if for example, there's a definition out there, I think, uh, that they say 40% of, uh, at least 40% of your users kind of like say, I cannot live without this solution, you know, and it's going to be really kind of tough for me and stuff. Then you found like kind of product market fit. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. Is there a magic number? See, that's a good question. So let's say if you pick a number, if you pick a metric, so you don't go to the next step. So, okay, I got the user segment. I defined the metric. But how do you know? How do I know how much is great? Right. Yeah. That's the question you're asking. So, see, there's no right answer. 
And if somebody is giving an answer, then I would say if they're saying 70%, well, 70% is good for anything in the world. Like you are above the median. You are great for anything. It doesn't matter if PM or not. I would say anchoring on something and comparing with that, that's called benchmarking, will help you figure out what is the right number. So I'll give you two, frame, two sort of ways to do that. The one, look at the closest competitor of your business. Try to figure out what could be their retention. So if I'm at, if I'm building a new, uh, think of Jet.com. If you're not have heard of Jet.com, it was a it's a classic new e-commerce site which is built out of New Jersey. When they were thinking about their business model, they basically it's Amazon or Walmart, but done better in better user experience. Uh, you know, one or two day delivery. So they would compare themselves with their retention or gross GMV value with what is eBay or Amazon or Walmart GMV. And then say, well, if I have X, uh, and how, what percent of users have that GMV or AOB number? And compare with them. And then say, yeah, if I'm 70% of Amazon, I'm killing it. If I'm 20%, I'm still not there yet. If And then you say, I will be at 50%. Why? Because... I'm at 20 today. I put a stake on the ground and say, if I'm at 50%, I'm doing great and move on from there. My point is, you don't define randomly what's good, bad. Pick a benchmark and chase it with some milestones to say, yes, it's working. That's one. The other framework would be, it's a journey. If you are saying your platform is converting 10,000, uh, in the case of a Zillow, 10,000 people are buying homes from your platform today, and the market is, um, you know, I don't know, uh, you know, a million homes being sold every year. Uh, Ten thousand people buying home, and let's say a million people, uh, um, let's say a hundred thousand people coming to your platform every month. That's a good conversion. Look at the conversion of Zillow again with the benchmark and see how how you are doing. And I think that will help you figure out is it good or bad. I would say benchmarking would be the right way to approach it, versus just picking a number and chasing it. Yeah. No, it does make a lot of sense. And you're right. The way you're putting it is kind of like making it more specific to what you're doing rather than kind of like chasing a number that's very generic, which makes a lot of sense. Cool. Oh. Awesome. So last step you mentioned on gr growing and actually creating that growth playbook in, in the niche that you have. So if you could break this down into a bit more details, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. So, so again, repeating. Get traction, step one. You build the liquidity. Awesome. You have enough people now, enough buyers, enough sellers to play the game of product market fit. You play the game of product, game of product market fit. Uh, you figure out the exit criteria by defining what retention or average out of value or seller value you are creating. And if you hit that number, you now think about let's grow. So we come to step three, create a growth playbook to grow. Great. So I think, this is pretty straightforward. I mean, growth is never, uh, there's no silver bullet for growth. You understand first who your users are, uh, and you figure out where you want to focus on, what will drive your growth. But to figure out, uh, to do that, you should know what you want to grow. So number one, step one there would be pick a goal. Pick a goal would be for, my point there is, if you are a ride-sharing company, what are you focusing on? Are you focusing on number of rides? Are you focusing on, the, the the average auto value? Are you focusing on um, number of riders on your platform? What is that? So step one is defining that. Uh, that's one. Once you have that, then the next step is to figure out where will the growth come from? And that's when you go back to your user segment and figure out, well, 
how big is this user segment? You define your, you understand your user better in terms of where they are, or how big they are, where they are, and, and then figure out at least a couple of areas you can invest in. So, so for instance, when we're looking at, um, I think this was, uh, let's say you're launching a home services company in a city, right? You're providing cleaners, plumbers to people in New York City, for instance. Uh, same thing, you define what goal is, uh, what your goals are for growth. Number one, I would say lift the number of orders. Second is, so how do you get to that? Uh, well, I'll focus on specific segments. So what are those segments? Oh, there are different kinds of homes. There are apartment buildings, there are single homes. Uh, there are different kinds of uh, age groups of people, which age groups are you focusing on? So you figure out that match there. Once you have that segment, let's say we're focusing on only large apartments because if you focus on one apartment, you can get more people from that apartment. So you only, you narrow down your focus to that specific area. And then, then you figure out ideas. What are the ideas that will help you bring those people living in those buildings, in those units, to use your service? And the ideas will come from everywhere. It could be a direct marketing where you go and send a pamphlet under, uh, you know, in the, in, the, in the lobby. It could be an online marketing campaign with Facebook or Google or whatever it is. It could be an ad campaign that you're running in the zip code. It could be word of mouth initially for a startup if you're starting and defining a niche and going into just one building. So I think having the right framework is more important. The ideas of growth will come from everywhere. And the only thing I would say, I made a mistake early in my career was flipping the order, where ideas were coming first and the strategy was coming last. So that's the recipe of disaster. So the feedback here is not what is the growth hacking idea, it's more about the right framework. So set the goal, um, focus on our defining user segment, and then focus on ideas to build a playbook, yeah. which can then be scaled later. Yeah. This is great, man. This is great. Really, really awesome. I love, I love how you put this down. And you're right. Strategy, strategy definitely like you know trumps trumps that execution, especially for like you know initiatives like this when you're going about you know uh, the complex setup. You know, it's a marketplace, two-sided marketplace. There's a lot of moving factors. So really, like, like the way you laid it out. Thank you so much, Ryan, for coming on the show and talking about marketplaces. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much, Iris. That's it for this week's episode of PM Hub Podcast, guys. If you enjoyed it, definitely feel free to share with your LinkedIn and audience online. Leave a five-star review so we can reach more audience. And if you have any suggestions, definitely send me a note. My email is cyrus at productmanagerhub.org. Also subscribe in your favorite podcast app so you don't miss any of the upcoming episodes. I'm Cyrus Shirazian, and until next show, stay safe and healthy.